HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Hello, welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Darren Bresnitz. Thanks again to everyone's support. For the show and for the newsletter, we have a new issue coming out tomorrow, issue number four, titled The List, where we get into the unofficial culinary list for all your favorite eateries, drinkeries, bakeries, and other culinary destinations around the world. I am very excited to be sitting down with one of my favorite bartenders in the world, William Elliott, Executive Bar Director and managing partner of Maison Premier. He's here to chat about him and the other Maison Premier boys' new book, The Maison Premier Almanac, out now on Potter. We talk about the legendary cocktails, their approach to creating a unique atmosphere, and what one can expect to hear on the sound system. And it's an all-new episode today because we have Laura Wolf from Brooklyn, whose new album, Shelf Life, drops on June 2nd. We chat about making music in her parents' attic, where she likes to see the neighborhood and her upcoming summer plans, which include a show and some tours in Brooklyn and beyond. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network.
William, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Congratulations on the book. Thank you for stopping by during this very busy time, both promoting the book and running Mason Premier. Yeah, thanks for having me, Darren. Um, you know, it's a beautiful book. And what I realized in reading it is that I may have made a few mistakes in my ordering because I think I ordered only three drinks in my entire time at Mason Premier. And now I have a huge list. I'll probably have to bring the book with me when I come back and be like this one, this one, and this one. You know, we keep a copy behind the bar on the old uh, register, the, uh, the national cash register behind the bar. So, oh, okay. You okay. Don't have to one if you can't carry it. Don't okay. Worry. Okay. Yeah. And I promise uh, I'll only ask for uh, one Gin Fizz Rama. So, <laughs> I, I, because listen, I remember you saying in the book that you could shake as many as that could be ordered. But I also remember distinctly being told when I was there in practice that maybe two could be the limit while I was sitting at the horseshoe. Yeah. I mean, you might be waiting for, for upwards of 20 minutes. If you're, you know, you might be waiting for upwards of 20 minutes regardless for a gin fizz, but um, <laughs> you order multiples on that and yeah, it gets lengthy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've been a fan and a patron pretty much since the opening in 2011. And, you know, you guys have won the James Beard Award. There's been endless ink spilled on the incredible nature of the bar. But that doesn't always lead to wanting to write a book or even take the time to really write the history of, the, of an establishment. What made all of you want to sit down and, and, you know, spill your own ink on this? Well, you know, I think that Joshua and Kristoff um, had an appetite even, you know, while I was sort of going about the day to day of running the bar at Maison. Um, I know that Josh and Kristoff were in the background and had an appetite to, to tell the story. And um, I think they saw a larger picture and, um, you know, eventually it came to fruition. I was lucky enough to participate in it. Um, but the story, you know, of Maison is definitely the, the incarnation of Maison is their story. And, um, you know, I, again, was able to participate in the last 13 years, mm -hmm. of what it is, you know, that goes on every day, but yeah, there's a part of the book that's very much their story. And then I think there's kind of yeah. like, um, a lot of awesome content that, you know, goes into the flavors and taste of Maison every day. Yeah, it's an interesting book because it definitely feels like their story and they talk about their parents and the work ethic and everything. And then they start introducing the character of the bar and then other characters such as like you and Maxwell and other people. And then you all get to go on this journey together. And it's a really collaborative book. And I think for anyone who spent time at the bar, everyone has their own guy or girl that they really relate to there. And you get that. And even in the photography, the different bartenders, but it feels like a real community. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I think you really hit the nail on the head. I mean, the bar Maison means so many different things to so mm -hmm. many different people. Mm -hmm. And it means something different, even to myself, depending on the time of day or, you know, like there's a million ways to experience it. And I think that's part of the power. It's a hybrid of many things. You know, there's so many different ways you could have, 
taken an approach to this book and me being the first book of just what it could have been. How did you guys land on this concept of an almanac? And like, what did you want to include? What are the stories you wanted to tell? Um, because it is a cocktail recipe book, but it's also how to build your own bar book. And then there's all the stuff about oysters and also tutorial nature. When did you land on this as more of a guide or equally a guide as, as a cocktail recipe book? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that in their minds, Josh and Christoph always knew that it was, I don't think they had an appetite to just do a cocktail book. Um, mm. and I, I, you know, Josh and Christoph aren't on, on the line with us today, but if they were, you know, I don't think they, I, they don't self-identify as cocktail people, particularly um, cocktails is just one part of what Maison Premier is. And we were lucky enough to uh, meet and eventually write with Jordan McKay, who I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll discuss in more length, but he came up with a notion of an almanac after listening to us talk and talk and talk about what Maison is and what it means to us. And I thought, I think we all just coalesced on the idea that like an almanac is almost, um, you know, a pre-internet internet. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> and right. of all the information, like useful information that you could put in your pocket. Yeah. And I think the almanac is like trying to, trying to do all those things, you know, and it, it, and that's what sort of gives it this like very, um, varied, um, you know, wide spanning nature. Yeah. I mean, listen, in making that approach, did that mean you had to leave some of the things out that you may have included? Um, like for example, you guys have a really big food program, but there aren't really recipes for food in there. Right. Yeah. You're, you, you absolutely identified, you know, one of the sort of notably missing things. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of that is, um, you know, we provide food at Maison Premier to flesh out like a larger experience mm. and we're proud of our food program. We're proud of the chefs that we've worked with throughout the years, yeah, yeah. but the, the mainstay and the sort of ongoing, um, center stage is obviously the bar and the oysters. And I think we wanted to really focus on that. Um, and you know, tell that story as opposed to, um, you know, food recipes, which we don't feel, you know, we feel our food is, is timeless. We don't feel it's mm-hmm. like especially trying to innovate every day or tell a new story all the time, every season, let's say. Sure. So we really just saw that the drinks and the oysters are, are what bring people in. And I think the food is what keeps them coming. But for the book, it's really about cocktails and oysters. And you're forgetting also the design because true. in my mind, it's hard to separate that out from the overall experience more so than other places. And, you know, obviously I've left New York quite a while now, be eight years in June, wow. but opening those first pages, it just brought me right back. And not only did you include the influences, but you also talked about how you put it together. Why was the how to build your own bar and how to design your own bar equally as important as, as you mentioned, the oysters and the cocktails? 
Well, you know, I, of course, am the the beverage guy, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, I know you're speaking on behalf of the other guys, but yeah, hey. no, for sure. And I, well, I guess I say that to a larger point that I would love to take credit and say like, <laughs> oh, my cocktails bring all the people to the bar. But in reality, it's um, just, you know, it's a magical venue, you know? I mean, I, I feel yeah. like um, you, you felt that when you opened the first couple of pages. I'm looking at my laptop right now, which could have any number of um, backgrounds on the screen, but I chose like a beautiful floral arrangement in the corner of Maison with the fleur-de-lis, you know, um, uh, wall design. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's always kind of um, giving. And I feel like the design that Joshua and Christoph settled upon was always something in their minds. And I feel like it's as much as the book is a, a story that they felt like they needed to tell the, the design of me something here was like actually the story that they needed to tell. Speaking of story, I thought this was a really great read because of all the little narratives that were weaved in throughout uh, the head notes and also putting it together. And there was this piece about creating this story around Maison Premier and, and the drinks and the affectation. Um, and then the rule was to follow the rules of the story you created. And you also tied in this uh, Pete Wells, one of the reviews says a fake that sometimes approves on the original. And I really love this whole idea of you set these rules for the drinks and, and the bartenders in the space and then Pete sort of nailed it where it's like, it feels so authentic, but it's also this fantastical realism of like, I, I feel like I've been here before, but it's a different type of experience. How much of that goes into the drinks you're creating and to the whole running the spot day in, day out? More more than I can express uh, <laughs> on the show. How much time do you have? Um, uh, we have a tight uh, uh, 75 hours, so hop <laughs> after it. Well, I mean, listen, it's annoying perhaps to say so, but it's the most it, – it's just such a conceptual place to work uh, yeah. involved in. And if you don't get down with the overarching ethos and concept, it will just be very confusing um, to work there. And for some reason, I think it – that specific thing appealed to me very much. You know, I didn't know Josh or Kristoff um, for very long before we opened. I knew them for a couple of months and I had no idea the depth of a uh, concept that they were trying to achieve. And, you know, I think we all learned to know each other a lot more, of course, over the years, but the way that we approach really everything is just this kind of like um, very um, in-depth deep dive into, you know, whatever the topic is. So like, we don't like to skirt the surface. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, you know, it's both appealing, but it's also confusing to a lot of people. We like to really go hard on whatever it is we're, (laughs) we're interested in. So, I mean, and I think part of that is like very much, a product of when we opened and cocktail mm-hmm. bars we opened, mm-hmm. were serving red stripe and, you know, Sauv Blanc from New Zealand. And I think that we were really hoping to like 
also be the place that serves great cocktails, but also has great beer, also has great wine. And then you apply that mm. philosophy to all the things. And it just, I mean, it's a little manic in a way, but it's, it serves to, to just give this richness and depth to Maison. Well, I mean, the other thing too is, um, you know, opening during that time, I remember coming in just looking like absolute shit for lack of a better word, sweaty, <laughs> no. underdressed. No, 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 no. I, I've, I've seen the photos and then just seeing like you and Maxwell and Ben just dressed to the nines and it felt so transportative in so many ways uh, that maybe it made me sit up a little bit straighter. Maybe, maybe it was like, oh, I'll, I'll put on like a collared shirt. Uh, if I'm not slink, if you know, slinking in in the late hours, um, you know, it'd be tough to also separate the fashion from the form there. But I think that that, that really ties everything all together. Well, as you know, and I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday and I remember you at the bar and so many of our early friends at the bar. Yeah. And I, I think we all know that, you know, and don't be fooled the people behind the bar and even Josh and Christoph, we all knew that it was like, not what was going on around us. Right. Um, dressing like that. And, you know, I think that we all, um, realize that we were playing a, a role almost you know mm. in a some sort of a play you know or or some sort of a epic movie or tv show and so putting on the uniform you know meant more than again it's just this ethos where like you have to want to do it <laughs> it's really hard if you don't want to do it um, because those summers are hot those summers are hot, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've, you were probably there for some of the oyster eating contests back in yeah. the days. Ooh, man. Yeah, of course. Seersucker isn't, isn't thin it's enough, not, you know, not, not breathing. Um, <laughs> all right, let's take a quick musical break. And when we get back, I want to get into the cocktail section and then talk a little bit about the music that you play. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're here with William Elliott, Executive Bar Director and Managing Partner at Maison Premier. We're chatting about the new book, The Maison Premier Almanac, which is an absolute stunner of a book. And, you know, we're talking about the early days. And I was into the oysters and I was into the cocktails. And I remember you and Maxwell making endless drinks and in addition to being impressed by the the craft cocktails you're putting up, I was just also impressed by the details of the barware. And you really give a lot of insights into this, almost to the point where I'm not saying it's bragging, because bragging is not the right word, but you're like, <laughs> look at look at our collection, and we are showing you everything. Like there's no secrets about what we do. Right. But if you are another bar, good luck. Good luck <laughs> finding this stuff. Good luck, you know, putting these wares together. How much of that was intentional? Well, you know, I don't think it – I don't think we were <laughs> – you really caught me on that one. I don't think we um, thought of it – you know, believe it or not, I don't think any of us think about it in a, in a braggadocious way. I know. I'm slightly teasing. I'm slightly no, teasing. No, you're not. No, please. I, I – it's a valid point because it, it walks a fine line, I think. Here's the thing. I've always um, personally, just in life, been a, an equip you know, what they call an equipment nerd or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whether, you know, I, like I, I used to ski when I was a kid. I cycle and like whatever it is, you know, it's, it's a fun way to connect to a activity, you yeah. know, to, to, to use like the the best things you can find. And for barware all around, you know, it's pretty achievable these days. When we opened in 2011, um, you know, Japanese barware was so cutting edge. Mm-hmm, and of course mm-hmm. it still is, but it's a lot more available now than it was. And, you know, I don't, I always wanted my personal tools behind the bar to be very functional. I, I really came from an ethos of like functionality. Yeah. So, you know, look, if stainless steel tins are better than brass copper tins, like we're going with stainless. Yeah. And um, so, you know, there's obviously the desire to like use really cool old fashioned, you know, tools when possible. But there's a tremendous amount of like functionality to to Maison and the way we work behind the bar at Maison. And one thing I don't think gets talked about a lot is Maison's very high volume incredibly high volume oh yeah level of detail in the cocktails it's i i don't know what is more high volume so um the bar tools need to work and work well and you know i think putting it in the book was just like a way to be open source and carry that kind of idea that ethos of like here's a honest open look i mean we might sound like we're bragging but it's actually like we're just showing no um, it's great yeah and you're showing, and there's again, it's 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 very very open that if you want to take the same amount of time and investment, or if you said like, you know, call eBay or just go online, you yeah. can put something very close together. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. And you know, I um, I have the good fortune of like, <laughs> or not, <laughs> of running uh, the Mason from your Instagram these days mm. I get so many questions from you know earnest interested home bartenders about like how to access um tools beyond the bar that we use you know 
you know, yeah. some bars like you spend all that money on, um, uh, you know, spherical ice and, and, um, you know, crystal, you know, uh, uh, all kinds of like high tech gear. And I think we're very analog, you know, we, we like Japanese cobbler shakers and really good jiggers and nice bar spoons and stuff like that. So I think it is achievable at some level. Um, it, but it is detailed. You're right. And it's kind of, um, exhaustive if you will. Yeah. I mean, it can be exact, exhaustive, uh, in both the barware and answering those questions, but then also the amount of cocktails that you guys put up and the obvious amount of research that you put into them, you know, like the Adonis from an 1884 or cocktail book or the tuxedo number two from the 1930 Savoy cocktail book. But in many ways you guys have done so much research to the point where I have to ask, how often do you find a new cocktail these days to put on the menu? Or have you seen, obviously there's, you know, all is sort of a, a big word, but like most, most of all. Yeah. I, (laughs) (laughs) well, let me put it this way. Maison premieres cocktail menu, you know, does not change in, in volume as much Mm. as many cocktail bars. So a lot of cocktail bars change out, you know, seasonally, you know, 12 drinks, maybe 14 drinks, maybe more. And, you know, for us, on average, it's probably five, six drinks, uh, you know, per season. Mm. And, you know, I think that's because we try to keep a, a long view of, of you know, where, we're, where we've come from, where, we're, where we are and where we're going. So, you know, how that relates to cocktails is like, you know, I do spend a lot of time pouring through old cocktail books and gaining inspiration through that method, but... Most of all, you know, I think it it has to be a stunner on the palate and it has to really work visually. And those are very laborious, <laughs> time consuming. Yeah. It's like visually, you know, we don't introduce a new piece of glassware to Maison unless, you know, we're really excited about it. So, again, it's that same ethos that would be up with everything else. Everything is very heavily vetted and um you know, to get a new cocktail in the menu, you have to, you know, think about classware, obviously mm-hmm. heavily about garnish. Garnish is probably, you know, one of the things that we were most um, <laughs> early into and probably m- most early um, made fun of or, or you know, fun at. And but it's the thing that we I personally really love. Like, I love beauty for the sake of beauty and I love that with drinks, you know, there, there are plenty of places to go to go drink a stirred boozy stirred cocktail in a coupe and Maison Premier, we can do that, but that's not our primary focus. You know, talking about other places and you alluded to this during the, you know, about the wine and the beer that were served other bars at the time for those who were ensconced in the New York cocktail scene, I will say some of it was a little snobby. I mean, there's definitely some drinks that I tried to order. I will not say who denied me and at which bar, but I did try and get an extra dirty vodka martini made for me um, in the mid-aughts, and I was told absolutely not. And um, and I get it. And, and I even made promises. I said, look, I'll buy other drinks. But you guys allude to this um, in the section when you talk about the hurricane 
because that was a drink that no one in New York cocktail bars took seriously, and why would they during the time? But you looked at it for not its its worst qualities, but for its its what made it popular at some point. And then you reworked it, and it became a popular drink on your menu. How often are you looking at things that have become passe or become jokes in the cocktail world and said, this was once great. This was something that was good that's been absolutely mutated into something bad, but we're going to bring it back to life and, and give it a new existence. Well, I love how you said, uh, you know, we chose to see its best qualities. It's, mm-hmm. it's actually a turn of phrase I've never really even thought in my own head about. There you go. That's a freebie. That's for you. (laughs) I appreciate it. We'll use that. Um, No, you know, I think that obviously there's a tendency in many fields of creative work or, you know, culinary or whatever to reinvestigate, dust off the old, Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, that is a huge part of inspiration for sure with in a huge um, sort of artistic and creative uh, method that we use. Um, and I, but I also think there's a fine line there too, where like you see people like trying to make a, a very earnest, well-made sex on the beach nowadays. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. I mean, at some point that's fine. I mean, that fine. it doesn't work at makes on premiere. Um, and so there's, Again, it's just sort of keeping in line with the overarching narrative of Maison. So if something has deep-seated history, even if it no longer has appeal or allure or credibility, then we'll do the work and like try to make a better version of it. And there's tons yeah. of examples of that on our cocktail menu. But you won't see us just like for flip a flip a sort of classic uh, that doesn't have that depth, you know? Yeah. So like, would we do a cosmopolitan at Maison Premier? Mm, probably not. Um, you know, we did one, I did one at Savage, you know, which mm-hmm. I think um, a better venue for it. Can you get a cosmopolitan at Maison Premier? Absolutely. Well, that's yeah. nice to know. That's a sort of like split, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We won't say no. We'll roll our eyes. <laughs> we won't say no. I mean, I feel like probably in 2015, I, I probably would have rolled my eyes, but nowadays, I think myself and our whole bar team really like, we don't we don't see things that way. There's very little eye rolling I nowadays. Mean, yeah, you know, it, it. I think once you've you've lived through it and you've gone past it, and you go, well, we don't really want to alienate anyone who's coming in here. That will make yeah. will we'll make you the best version of, of said drink. Absolutely, and as you know, I mean, back in the mid 2010s, like, yeah. and, and really spanning from the mid aughts, like, we there was just this real push to like recenter cocktails and the whole sure of course it, so it, was, kind of it was a fight it a little bit it was yeah. a fight because yep. people forgot that like you couldn't get a good drink in new york or yep. or it was cocktail culture was on its i wouldn't even call it like its last leg like it was it was dead yeah um, and so the idea of saying like no there's more to to this world but then you're just like you know then all the jokes came and you know like, of course yeah and i get it but now, but now it's so well footed and so well established that you're like, sure, I'll, I'll make you a German chocolate cake shot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we were right place, right time, obviously sure. for a number of reasons. But I think in the context of what we're talking about right now, yeah, 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 we were right place, right time because 
the first generation of New York Renaissance mm-hmm. cocktail bars had already mm-hmm. done the dirty work for us. And we were the lucky ones to go forward and be able to garnish drinks extravagantly and be able to, you know, be a little more carefree about it and artistic in our approach. Whereas I think the first generation of cocktail bars had to really do the work and, you know, purvey uh, historically accurate, you know, quote unquote, um, versions of old cocktails. Well, when the uh, spirit of Dale DeGroff is still haunting the bars, you can't, <laughs> you can't not do it perfectly. I, lucky enough to be hosting that gentleman tonight at Maison Premier, actually. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Excited for it. I haven't seen him in years. No, me either. Um, speaking of classics that you do on your own, um, the Maison Bloody Mary is such a great example of a different type of experience for a drink you may have had, both great and then lesser versions of a million times. But what I love about that drink is that it comes with um, an oyster and a chilled shrimp. How often are you pairing drinks with seafood and how often do you have to hold back on saying like, uh, this could use a clam, this could use a cockle, this could use a lobster claw. <laughs> well, just, um, well, first of all, quick editor's note, um, it's the Caesar that that we do with the, oh, um, yes, yes, the clam and the shrimp. Um, yes. And that does have a little bit of clam brine. In yeah, it, yeah, yeah. That one. And the Bloody Mary is the same thing. It's just minus the the clam juice and the, the sidecar sort of. Yes, 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 clam yes. And shrimp. My apologies. But, no, not at all. But, um, you know, obviously oysters being a big part of our identity, I think, you know, in the early days, we were looking for a lot of, a lot more, we were more actively looking for ways to incorporate shellfish mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And I'm not sure if you recall, but Kristoff uh, made uh, or, or helped collaborate and make a oyster stout. Oh, yeah, which is in the book and is really um, exciting, except for the early days when I felt for the people who had to sift through the oyster shells for the, the Bellons specifically. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, I, I felt them. I, I, and it must have been a big enough point to include in the book. But uh, yes, the, the, the oyster stout made with the oyster shells in-house is such a great story. I mean, how Maison is that? That, uh, you know, we, we didn't just do an oyster stout. It had to be Bellon shells. You know? I, I can't even imagine. Like, bar closes, <laughs> 4, 3 in the morning. It's like... All right, I'm done. Christoph, he's like, bah, 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes he'd even be with her there with us at four thirty in the morning, rolling um, up those uh, pinstripe sleeves and uh, going through the <laughs> the debris. I was there, man. I, I remember oh so well. Um, yeah, I mean, nowadays I think we're less prone to um, force or, 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 or you know try to connect shellfish to our drinking i nowadays you know i think we're a lot more thinking about ways to sneak caviar (laughs) yeah 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 alongside a martini and uh things of that nature but the bloody mary and the bloody caesar you know definitely have stood the test of time and i'm really surprised actually because yeah there's some kind of cocktails that people um are really opinionated about and there are some kinds of cocktails that people just you know, it's like a slice of pizza. Even a bad slice is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the Bloody Marys tends to be a very sort of um, not I don't want to say polarizing, but it's a opinionated demographic. <laughs> and so, like, 
the fact that you say that you enjoy it, the fact that it's still like a, a top performer at Nissan is, um, I, we, yeah, we're just, we stumbled upon a really nice recipe, um, or, or created one and, um, it's worked over the years and stayed relevant with people's tastes. So I'm, I'm grateful for that because honestly, I don't drink a lot of Bloody Marys. Mm-mm. So recalibrating a Bloody Mary for me is that could take up six months of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Now, once you lock that one in, it just becomes a go-to staple. <laughs> um, right. You know, when I also think about Maison Premier and the inspiration for the drinks, for the space, I also like to think about the music there. And it was great to read, not just about the soundtrack, because I know that you have some songs, um, including the book, but you named a drink after this legendary can album, Future Days, (laughs) Um, which was great to read, but also had me thinking, you know, how often is music um, inspiring drinks or inspiring the feel of a drink? Um, how much is what I'm hearing on the stereo time to, you know, what's in my glass? Well, for myself, you know, I, I guess I have my own, um, version as the person that more granularly makes and creates the drinks. Um, obviously I'm creating the drinks for, for a venue that plays, you know, largely new Orleans jazz. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, um, I have a lot of inspirations that I don't even really, <laughs> really talk about. And I love that you picked up on the can reference. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, my back, I have a background in music. Um, and so it always plays into my thought process and it, it just relates to the way I make anything or create anything. It's like, you know, once you fall into sort of a creative rhythm, um, you, I think you can apply that across a lot of platforms and, and, and different, um, you know, artistic pursuits and for drinks, um, you know, sometimes I think just sheerly about color and use that as a prompt. Um, sometimes Mm. I think about, you know, for instance, future days is a great example. It's a, it's a kind of psychedelic, um, reference, but that can totally work outside of a psychedelic context. And, um, the people that get it, get it. And the people that don't, don't, but it still is a pleasant, thing to say a pleasant name for a drink optimistic and you know if you just look at it at surface level it sounds very optimistic and nice and um but if you look if you happen to get to the reference and then you drink the drink i think you'll understand uh where, where it's coming from i mean future day specifically makes no sense as far as a cocktail recipe it's all equal parts mezcal old tom gin and uh an amaro by luxardo mm. it just doesn't sound like it would be any good at all however it works um in this really amazing way and yeah so i that was an era that was early mason premiere and i think an era where i was really trying to still see my own personality and background in, mm. in and over time i think i've become more like Maison Premier and probably Maison Premier become a little more like me. I mean, that's sort of the best way to have that merging where you're, you can separate, but you also see your stamp. Yes. A hundred percent. So, um, you know, as we start to come to the end of this and as I'm just once again, flipping through the book, there's so many different elements and there's so many different parts of this. And in what we're saying at the beginning, Everyone has their own ties to Maison Premier and has their own experience and 
what my memories are different than someone else. When people get this book and people have it and they get time to go through it, what's the thing you would love, at least for you, to have people walk away with when they finish reading this almanac? You know, Mason Premier purveys an image and, you know, for better or for worse, um, any restaurant or venue purveys an image. And I, for some people, I think um, if you didn't know any better, Mason Premier can be a little bit um, daunting. You know, there's big old staff. There's always tons of back waiters and well-dressed bartenders and, you know, food runners and servers and a, always, a you know, a Ben Crispin well-dressed manager at the door so well dressed (laughs) and so like i i think that the almanac hopefully you know first of all humanizes the experience and also makes it um more achievable to take home in in these little ways where you know if you want if you live in new york and you you go upstate for the weekend or something yeah throw the the book into your bag yes and you figure out how to shuck an oyster for the first time or you figure out how to make a really amazing martini for the first time. And so, you know, 13 years ago, Maison Premier didn't exist. And and now it does. So it's just, I guess, maybe the optimism that it's possible. It's totally possible. If you're in, if you like something, if you're mm-hmm. if you are um, dedicated to, to something, you know, obviously Maison is a bigger story than any one person. It's bigger than Josh or Christoph or myself. Um, and, and it's really like the sum of all the people that have worked there over the years. Of course, Josh and Christoph came with the initial vision, um, and have, have steered the ship for so many years, but obviously also there's just a lot of color and all that color comes from, from the people and Mm. and people include not just the staff, but, but the guests. And I feel like Mason Premier is so lucky to have had Williamsburg at that time you know, as it's, as it's home because the guests definitely color and make the place. Yeah. I mean, I really can't separate my time there from my experience at the bar, which is few and far between um, for places that still exist today. So congratulations on the longevity in the book itself. If people want to order the book and then follow around with your incredible social posts or send you questions about a, esoteric oyster knife from the 1900s <laughs> uh french not american uh where can they go how, how can they get follow along yeah i mean so of course we love um our followers on instagram and i try to engage as much as possible i'm not a professional social media person so sure. I, I have a little bit of a lag time sometimes getting back to people yeah. but <laughs> you're also I running love, a bar yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly but i love the questions and like Nothing, I think, thrills us more than than knowing what the questions are, hearing the questions. It's always yeah. so surprising. And yesterday we were doing a book signing at, at Maison, um, a little small ticketed event, you know, where you get a book and a martini. And just meeting people that have come here over the years um, and hearing what interests them. It's so interesting to sort of hear it reflected back to you. Um, some things that we think are interesting, like people don't necessarily see. And then other things that we totally miss, people are asking questions about. So um, yeah, Instagram, Mason Premier, um, at Mason Premier. And then um, yeah, our website's, uh, you know, www.masonpremier.com. You can buy the book there. Autograph copies are only available um, on 
our website and mm. actually at the restaurant. And then, of course, we're available um, on Amazon and Target and uh, Barnes and Noble and any big uh, online retailer. Amazing. Well, William, I can't thank you enough. Please send my regards to the guys and a big shout out to Lexi and Emily and Mona for shouting, uh, setting this up. Really appreciate the time. Hey, Darren, it was great to connect. It's been way too long. I know. I know. You know, I was in Brooklyn the other night uh, for dinner and for whatever reason, I just was like, didn't think to walk over to Bedford. And then reading the book, I was like, you're so dumb, Darren. Could have walked over, could have ordered maybe a fourth drink in that repertoire. Yeah, and you can probably even, you know, do it at 2 a.m. I mean, we're I know. late, man. I know, I know. <laughs> I was in my L.A. mindset. I was like, eh, I had dinner, it's late, I'm going home. Well, uh, you're, you're healthier for it. I, I am, I am, I am. <laughs> uh, thank you so much again. We have a song from the archives and then a musical performance here on Stacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.
This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Laura, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Congratulations on the album that's coming out this week. So thank you for making the time to sit and chat with us. Of course. I'm so happy to be here. Um, You're in Brooklyn. It is spring into summer. Arguably the best place in the world to celebrate this time of year. (laughs) Are you enjoying yourself? Are you looking forward to the awakening of the city? Yes, the awakening is magical. I moved back here in the fall, so I feel like it's been a steady progression into sleepiness, and now we're pivoting back into life. So very oh, man. exciting. It's, it's the months that make it all worth it for living in New York, and you're there yeah. right in the, the heart of it. Um, you mentioned you moved back. Uh, were you coming back from your parents' place? where you did a lot of your writing? Um, So I actually, I was at my parents' place in 2019 to 2020, and then I Mm. moved to Rhode Island for a couple years. And then this fall, I moved back to New York. Uh, How how was Rhode Island? Were you in Pravi D or were you somewhere else? I was in Pravi D. Um, Do you know Providence well? Yeah, I went to school up in Boston, and so we would drive to Providence and I loved it there. RISD and hang out at Brown University and go to the, I want to say Hearts Club. Maybe that was the, the venue there. I don't know. I'm a little bit older. So this was a few years ago. Yeah, I'm not. So I moved there in the middle of COVID and I think that a lot of the nightlife sort of shifted mm. around them, like it did everywhere. But um, yeah, it was a, it was a great place to be in 2020 for a lot of that um just very quiet and peaceful and then very low-key but very vibrant art scene which is wonderful yeah I mean you live in Brooklyn you were in Providence and it's tough not to be inspired by the art scene and the other people making music or painting or sculpture or really anything creative how much does that inspire you and how much is that uh, pulling you into your art world? Um, I mean, I think, I think the greatest thing about having lived in so many different places in such a short amount of time is that I got to see that there are really, 
I mean, of course, there are so many amazing people making sure. beautiful things in New York all the time. But the um, time. having lived here, I mean, I moved here right after college. So this was really the only place I had lived in my mm. adult life. And then getting to go to these more, I mean, Connecticut, I was outside of New Haven. So, um, you know, a lot quieter than New York, but still there's just this really... Um, well, there's this just abundant wellspring of, of art happening all over mm-hmm, Connecticut, mm-hmm. which having yeah. grown up there, I was totally oblivious to. So that was a really cool experience to see that there just there's beauty happening everywhere. And then Providence, of course, RISD, you yeah. know, it's a given that there's really cool art happening there. But the music scene is like, is oh so it's just cool. It's like, it's very laid back. It's like the people who've like, who, who maybe were in Boston or maybe were in Connecticut and sort of chose this other, it's, it feels very chosen. Like, like people in touch oh, sure. are living there, you know? Um, yeah. So that, that's really exciting for me to be like, Oh, it's happening everywhere. Like that's, that's just great. Yeah. And you know, Brooklyn's gone through so many changes in New York itself. And so you get to see these sort of artist communities pop up in different little yeah. cities and different little um, pockets but uh, you get to be at the source now. What ultimately brought you back to the city, um, given that you found inspiration in other parts of the country? Um, well, a lot of this last year, um, you know, I finished this album that's coming out uh, mm-hmm. now in like years ago now and so um shelf life shelf life coming out shelf life yeah and um little plug there um yeah of course but a lot of you know I, i it's funny because i think all musicians experience this it's it's like you're always so behind what the public or the public is so behind what's actually going on behind the scenes. Mm. And a lot of this last year, I've been doing a lot of collaborations and, um, you know, which will hopefully come out sooner rather than later, but, um, (laughs) you know, I'll check back in in 2027, you know, Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was just, I ended up coming down to New York a lot and, um, I mean, the big kicker was my my partner is back in grad school, so we it was just um, in Brooklyn, so we decided to mm. to make the move. But um, but yeah, it just it just felt like just felt like the right time, and and it's definitely uh, it life has sped up since <laughs> since being oh, back. Yeah. It's been yeah. it's been pretty great. Yeah. Um, I want to hear. Let's get a song. Um, before we talk a little bit more about the writing of Shelf Life and, and that process, uh, the first one I believe you're playing for us is Circles. What's the story behind it? Um, so Circles is actually one of the first songs I ever wrote, um, mm. but it, it's not released. And um, mm. I'm making plans now to... to actually record it but that i'll be performing it just on my loop pedal um it's it's kind of from this era i'm really into um now producing in ableton and doing a lot with post-production um Mm. but this song was written before i ever learned how to record myself and 
Um, I think I'm just excited to kind of re-examine it from both the lens of kind of having gone down the electronic rabbit hole, but also now sort of a greater appreciation for just the bare bones cello and, and voice. And, um, yeah, it all comes, (laughs) all comes full circle as the name suggests. I (laughs) am very rarely ever come up with anything nearly as succinct as that, but there you go. No, it's fantastic. And it's perfect. (laughs) Uh, here we go. Laura Wolf circles live here on snacky tunes on heritage radio network.
Welcome back. That was a beautiful version of it and exciting to see and hear some of the evolution you were talking about. And I want to go back to what you're saying in the first part about how shelf life and some of the songs you've written are distant, at least in your personal creative journey. Now you're working on new stuff um, because it's so interesting to write songs and put it together to this album and something that is like a snapshot of a very specific time and then have to sit on it and then put it out. And people are like, I want to talk to you about this now. And you're like, this is three or four years ago. And I know that I'm in cycle, but I have to talk about it now. Um, but you've been pretty open about the process in which you wrote the song and, and having to move back to your parents' house. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your mindset and your creative process and what you're going through um, in putting this collection of songs together. Yeah, um, it's funny, kind of just what you were talking about, having to to go back and then talk about <laughs> very old songs. Yeah. I think it, it's interesting now, I feel like there's been enough time and distance and I've had the opportunity to move on to, mm, to new mm-hmm, things that mm-hmm. it actually, at least compared, I haven't um, released that much music, but at least compared to like my previous releases this does feel a lot healthier in that I feel a lot of distance I also feel um you know I can appreciate where I was when I was writing it from less of like Mm. a critical place and it's just less precious than maybe if I had released it like a year ago um and it's really cool to hear that people connect with it you know yeah Um, uh, I mean I think people especially given the era that you wrote it and what you're going through, it's sort of timeless, the feelings of wanting to connect and want and being at home and looking at life and what's it all worth and how do I move forward? And I think, I don't know, just being different parts of your life like that. Those are themes that people continuously revisit. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I've heard other artists talk about this where, they, you know, everyone approaches writing lyrics differently. Um, yeah. And I, I definitely, uh, I definitely feel this way that I don't really understand like the the depth or the weight of whatever my subconscious was throwing at me at the mm-hmm. time in the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I think it's kind of cool. I've definitely heard other artists talk about this, and I and I think. 
I think that almost lack of specificity does make it maybe feel a little more universal to, um, you know, like I was very specifically with this album, at least on a lyric level, just like working through, um, uh, like feeling betrayed by my body and dealing with kind Mm. of this, this like upheaval of illness. And then, um, from that feeling really distant, but I, I think I don't really get, I think the, the core of it is feeling what you were saying, like distant and, um, uh, kind of sidelined or, um, any, any number of things that people were, yeah, all feeling in 2020, you know, it just happens that that coincided with my experience, which was just like slightly different, but it was still like a universal thing. Um, that I, I still feel time to time to time today, you know? Um, Who doesn't? I mean, there's yeah. a very well-documented epidemic of loneliness going on in yeah. America. And yeah. to have songs that people can listen to and relate to or come to a show and hear you play, yeah. it's got to feel great to be able to let people connect with what you're creating. Yeah, it feels really good. Yeah, especially after so long of not performing um it's been really great to get to not only share and perform, which is one of my favorite things to do, but also also see my friends perform and like see other artists perform and just be in that that community again and meet people at shows. And, um, oh yeah, going out to shows, cool. those high fives and hugs, seeing people yeah. play, you know, it's fantastic. Um, yeah. All right, let's hear let's hear another song. Uh, I believe the next one you're playing for us is Good Veins. What's the story behind it? Um, so that one I wrote when I, it took me like a year to put together cause I had just <laughs> gotten Ableton. It was 2019. Um, and I just became completely obsessed and, mm. um, and I was also, um, it was the first thing I had ever recorded myself on, produced myself on um, oh. the recording. Yeah, and and there it's out. It's been it. I released it in 2019, um, and it's yeah, like kind of what we were talking about before. I lovingly look back on it and be like, okay, this is very like dreamy in an unintentional way. Like it's very washy yes. and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, this one is also on loop pedal and sampler. So it's kind of like in my progression of getting a little bit more technical. Um, I added the sampler into it and I still just play it with loop pedal and sampler. It's so cool to have your production and professional progression documented in the songs that you make. You can look back and be like, this is where I was in my understanding of this. And then I move on into the building blocks. Um Okay, here we go. Good Veins, Laura Wolf, live here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are here with Laura Wolf, who just played Good Veins. And getting back to the theme and vibe of summer, I was reading about how you're into gardening and wondering if you were able to scratch out, if not a little square of land in Brooklyn, but maybe like a garden cell sort of potted plant set up. What you got going on? I have a bunch of potted plants. Um, and yeah, it's in, in my little like studio nook, I, I'm surrounded with, with my plants, but so far no, no garden plot, but that was a fun, um, a fun discovery of, of living outside of New York. Getting, getting your hands in the dirt, growing some things. Yeah. Yeah. Watching them grow. That's the coolest part. Like, I love um, just planting clippings and then in the spring, mm. they just grow so much. And it's so, it's so hard to not just feel so connected and, and um, supported by that process. It's really cool. Um, so the album's coming out and you have a couple of shows and some summer plans. What, can people expect from you in the next few months? Um, in the next few months, um, I am putting together some shows, hopefully um, finalizing some touring plans. Um, and I am releasing an album with, uh, with another collaboration of mine that should be announced sometime in late June. Um, okay. okay. Yeah. And okay. Um, I'm excited about that. It's, it's, it's different from my solo project. Um, but yeah, just, I'm, I'm hoping to, to be performing out and about in Brooklyn more. Now, whenever we have artists on the show, we always like to ask them about where they're looking forward to when they're on the road, when it comes to eating and snacking and things like that. And now I know you don't have your shows lined up, so we can broaden it out. You can talk a little bit about what you miss from eating in Providence, what you've been excited to get into now that you're back in Brooklyn, where you've been, where you've been snacking these days. Um, well, so I actually live in Bushwick right now, but, um, and it's been, I'm, I'm having like a little, what I'm calling taco tour, um, just because there's so many, so many good taco spots in my neighborhood. Um, mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. been really fun. I, but yeah, I, it's interesting because Bushwick is still feeling very new to me because I, um, the last time I lived in New York, I lived in kind of the Crown Heights mm-hmm. section mm-hmm. of Brooklyn for years. And, um, the last place I lived was Fort Greene, which was just like a, an amazing sublet that I lucked into. And it was so, it was such a Dreaming. beautiful <laughs> nine months of my life. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And there were a lot of great spots there that I still make sure I get down to. Um, like, do you know, do you know Dosa Royale? Mm-hmm. The Dosa place? The Dosa place. For mm-hmm. the hold that that place has on me, every time <laughs> that I, every time that I came to New York when I wasn't living in New York, I would make sure to go there, 
Um, yeah. And same, but a lot of places have closed down, like Caracas. That that. Oh Arepa yeah, R.I.P. to the Arepas place. That was a bummer. Yeah. That used to be one of my and old haunts too. Yeah. I, that was another place until it closed down. That I was like, I'm gonna find somebody to go to this place with me, um, no matter what. But yeah, I feel I feel psyched about summer tacos. There's nothing like a taco on a hot day. No. 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 From your, from your lips thing. to my ears. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, listen, I want to make sure we have enough time for one last song, but please tell people where they can get Shelf Life. Where can they find it? June 2nd, it's coming out. Uh, I saw it was on Bandcamp. Um, but where yeah, else? Yeah, I love, I love Bandcamp. Bandcamp's a great mm-hmm. place to buy my music. Um, it's coming out on June 2nd. Um, you can find Shelf Life anywhere you get music. Um, I'm streaming on all of the the streaming platforms. Um, and I'm also, uh, I'm, this will be announced by the time this comes out, but um, I'm, I have a run of tapes coming. So if you come to a show, oh, cool. you can buy a tape from me or you can buy it on Bandcamp either way. Um, yeah. Got it. I love it. I love that the tapes are still continuously back. Yeah, I love, I love, I don't even have a tape player, but I love getting tapes for my friends. Uh, I mean, I have like a four track, but I'm not going to play like a tape on my four track, but I like, I just like having them around my house and I'll just like remember which show I got it at. And it's such a fun, like souvenir almost. Amazing. Um, all right. Um, one last song, I believe paper and plastic is what you're going to play. Yeah. Uh, what's the quick story behind it? So paper and plastic is on shelf life. Um, what I'm doing today is a very stripped back version of it. Paper and plastic as, um, a released song. It was actually the second single from this album that I released. It's very, um, it's very produced, you could say. I'm so proud of the arrangement. I think it's the most intricate arrangement maybe I'll ever make. Um, but it's a lot of a lot of bleeps and bloops with uh, with mm-hmm. decorated decorations of cello. And this version that I'm going to do today is just cello and voice. Um, just kind of a different a different take on it. Maybe a hint of of where I'm going next. So. Um, this is paper and plastic. Amazing decorations of cello. I love. I love that. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Laura. Thank you to George for setting this up. Uh, shout out to Will and the whole Mason Premiere guys. Congratulations on their book. It's great to see you guys out last night. Here we go. Paper and plastic. Laura Wolf live here at Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. We'll see you next time. Together, like moths.
We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, Snacky Tunes. Snacky Tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.